0: The reading today will be from Exodus 25, verses 1 to 9. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breast piece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
1: All right, thank you, Eric. Good morning. My name's, uh, my name's Dave. I'm a pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and I typically do the bulk of the preaching and just wanna, wanna say welcome. Very, very glad you're here. Um, glad you're not sick, So I hear a lot of, a lot of folks are. And um, actually, yeah, Rachel Harkey, who leads our Redemption Kids ministry, is having to sub in there. Yeah, who was that? Her, her husband, maybe? No. Little, um, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, she's in there subbing, because I guess a bunch of people had to kind of call out last minute, so hopefully that wasn't you. Um, if, you're, if that is you, and you shook someone's hand, uh, I pray that God would protect others from your sickness. But... Um, uh, we got a lot to get into this morning, so I'm going to go ahead and have us turn to Exodus chapter 25. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, we're going to be covering a ton of Scripture this morning, as you saw there, talking about acacia wood and you know other things like that. So um, go ahead and turn with me there to Exodus chapter 25. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up, and somebody will get you a highball. En español, si quiere la And um, again, if you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. And while we're getting there, while we're handing out Bibles and turning there and getting geared up for about 10 chapters, walking through the tabernacle, which I'm really excited about, honestly, I'm pumped for, so hopefully you share my excitement, but... Um, I want to make an important announcement before we get into that, is that um, I want to put it before the congregation that we are planning on installing another elder. And um, you should see here, Corey Mitchell um, has been through the eldership process for uh, a long time now, and we've been walking through that. And the current elders here locally, as well as across Redemption have met with Corey, have come alongside him, been in this process with him. And we're planning on installing him in two weeks as an elder, but as we've done with everyone becoming an elder, um, is we want to do our due diligence and kind of put the plan before the congregation. Okay, we don't take a vote or anything like that, um, but this is an opportunity. If there's anyone that has concern who knows Corey or has interacted with him or um, has any concern, we again believe it's it's wise to um, make the plans known to the congregation that while we're an elder. Elder led church do we want there to be um honestly joy in who we're being led by so again, if there's any concern or um, any conversation ne- needed this week and next week um uh, we we're, we're again putting the plan before you and want to invite you if that's you to uh, to come and tell us by the way, if you have like an affirmation or something you don't necessarily need to. We're expecting that. Corey's led here in multiple different ways within our church. But again, if there's, if there's concern, um, by all means, uh, let uh, myself or one of the other current elders know. All right? Amen? Now, we're all tracking with amen, but that's, you know, uh, a, all right is basically same, same deal. It means I'm with you. I'm following. I agree. So let me pray for us, all right, and then we're going to get into our time here together in Exodus as we, again, cover a lot and trust that God will reveal himself to us through his word this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time we can get together in it and gather. I I confess that when we set out to um, embark on Exodus and walking through this for the last number of months, that this was a section that myself and many others wondered, man, do we just kind of skip over this? What do you do with this? And Um, Lord, I believe and trust that your word, um, is you are intentional with and through your word and you reveal yourself and it is profitable for us in every way, um, Lord, for all of life. And so, so I pray and trust that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will bring who you are into the light, Lord, that you will sink your good news deeper in our hearts, that you will lead us to respond in faith and repentance and trust and hope in Jesus' name we pray. Amen if you were to come to my house, you would learn something about me and about my family. Those of you who have been um, know if you walk up to our house, even in the very front yard, usually the dirt is raked. That's our version of mowing the lawn. And here in, in Tucson, some of y'all have lawns, probably on the outskirts of town, right? But um, uh, Phoenix, you're like, they have tons of lawns, right? But here we have dirt, and I love to rake the dirt. And you learn something about me. I, I'm really happy to see you. I greet you, but I can't help but notice also, like, are you dragging your feet? Are you shuffling? Are you noticing the, the rake lines? They're, they're pretty. They're intentional. Um, but then you get further up. Most you don't notice. Um, and just kind of move on and whatever. That's okay, right? I'll work with that. But um, uh, also, you get to our house. You go in and you notice, a. and sometimes you notice with your eyes, maybe you notice with your nose, um, a bunch of shoes. Okay, we have shoe bins, right? When you walk in, we are an active family. We have a lot of kids. Each kid has their own bin. It's our attempt to at order. That's something else that you'll probably N- notice highly value order and structure, but don't always attain it and achieve it, but we'll try to set the set the table for that and so we've got a shoe kind of cabinet and each kid has their own shoe bin and and so usually most of the shoes are in there and right we're we're working on that and and then you go in a little bit further you see we have a huge dining room table that we took the idea from someone else, some of our friends that we value dinner um, around the table we value being together when we have g- guests over. We really value our table, so it's huge. It's like giant plywood and two-by-fours and four-by-fours and makes up our dining room table. We also love color. Um, we love that the Southwest really embraces a lot of house with color. We have a bright orange wall. Okay, there's a lot of stuff. You see, we have water bottles. We have like a, a mound of water bottles. We have six people in our home, and yet we have more than twice that number of water bottles and yet we still often forget to hydrate, but right, we live in Tucson, we like to be active again. All this you learn stuff, right, about families. Hopefully even as I'm sharing a bit about ours, you think about your own home. What are you intentional with? All right. Some would say like you, you learn something if you walk in and the and the and the TV is the center of everything, right? That probably will reveal something about where most of the time is spent. You know things like that. I'm not shaming you, all right. This is ours. Is not just in the background, by the way. Okay, ours is right there too. Couches circled around it, but the point is right. We learn something. As we get into our time looking at the tabernacle, we learn a lot about God. Okay, Um, that God is revealing Himself, and you see here. This is how we're going to walk through it. He shows Himself. And then he also uses the tabernacle to tell his story, and then he also uses it in in, in incredible ways and in creative ways to include his people. And then through it all, he's displaying his glory. And so that's what we'll see as we walk through it. That God is even go with me to where we read there in Exodus chapter twenty-five. Um, look down, right in verse eight. He says, "Let them make me a sanctuary." That I may dwell in their midst. This has been God's plan all along, right? Throughout the Exodus, his people were enslaved, and they were unable to worship him, and and, and they had forgotten him. Pharaoh, who was the king, the ruler, the tyrant of Egypt, didn't know God. And so God um, frees his people, sets them free, brings them out into the desert, where they are now, to make them his people. He says, I will be your God, you'll be my people. And this has been his plan, right? Verse 8 that I may dwell in their midst. And so he gives instructions, and we're not gonna walk through all like ten or so chapters, by the way, but we see, and again, as I said before, I encourage you to read these chapters, to pour through them. And you see, God is really intentional, and He's He's giving orders, and He says, Right, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. God is intentional. Okay, he's showing himself through this tabernacle that he wants his people to build where he will dwell among them. In their midst, you learn some things about him. Right, you learn that he is a God of order. Okay, as you read through it, you learn also that the closer in you get to his presence, to the, the Ark of the Covenant, to the Shekinah glory where he dwells among his, his, his people, the, the, more, the more holy the more set apart, the more awe and reverence required of his people, the more intentionality in being aware of confessing sin, Right, this is the picture. Just going ahead, even to as we come before the Lord's table, as we take communion each week, and we and, and and we're commanded in Scripture to 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 search our hearts, to confess sin, to consider whether or not we're at odds with others, or if there's if there's um, if there's brokenness, if there's discord, relational discord. All right, to, to consider these things. It's a, this idea of of God is holy. He's set apart. He is he is he is righteous. He's to be feared. He's to be revered. And you see that as we walk through some things going on with the tabernacle. And God cares about intimacy with his people. Right, that's why there's all these instructions again about consider yourself, search your heart, sacrifice, make these sacrifices before. Don't just come come barging in with all kinds of thoughts going on in your mind, in your heart, whatever, and just doing this and kind of taking for granted. But God cares about His intimacy, His closeness with His people, and that's He shows that through the tabernacle, and it's really important because what He's doing in this, it's not just separate. It doesn't. It, it's not just that it doesn't matter. It's also again that God is telling His story. All right, through the Scripture, we use this language of story and think it's really important, and and, and a lot of authors and theologians and even historically for years and years have this idea that, 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 that God gives us His Word and story, and that every culture, every time, every sacred book from any different people group is communicating a story, and even the world that we live in today is communicating a story. Every commercial is communicating a story of some kind, is participating in, this is what gives you value and worth, this is what you need to be saved from, need to be freed from, this is what you need in your life to have purpose, to have meaning, to have security, whatever it might be, right? All these things. And Well, the scriptures are the true story of the universe where the author and the hero is God himself. And so the tabernacle is not disconnected. God is telling his story through the tabernacle. So now to help us understand this, I'm gonna, I actually broke it up in two. Actually, I didn't. Stephen, by the way, did a, a solid. You'll see here, he somehow figured out how to splice up some videos and cut and all this stuff. But there's a really good video that's about five or six minutes long, and I thought that'd be too long, or right? I do not want to share all the time with someone else, right, with a video. But um, it's a really helpful video that we've actually made available before, and it's by these, this group called The Bible Project. They, um, they have a lot of really good material, and they've provided one on the temple, and just by the way, before we dive into it, they're going to talk about the temple. And you might be wondering, I thought we're talking about the tabernacle. Here's the deal. Same thing. Okay? Tabernacle is like the portable temple. And then, in fact, the temple is built years later, and it was actually David's idea, King David's idea, to make a permanent tabernacle basically a permanent um, structure that's the temple so as these guys are walking through all the details of the temple it's it definitely applies directly the same thing to the tabernacle again god's plan of dwelling among his people and god telling his story through the tabernacle let's watch the first part of this video right now to help us again understand god's story
2: In Genesis 1, God creates an ordered world out of a dark wasteland by speaking in a series of seven days. Then on the seventh day, God's presence fills creation as he takes up his rest and rule. Similarly, the tabernacle and later the temple were built and dedicated in a series of seven speeches and seven days, after which the priest or king could rest and rule in God's presence. Ah, so all of creation is where God intends to dwell. It is like his temple. Exactly. Now, turn the page to Genesis 2 and we get another portrait of creation. This one focuses in on the land. And in the center of the land is a region called Eden, which in Hebrew means delight. And in the middle of delight, God plants a garden in which God and humanity live together. And that is why the temple was modeled after the garden, filled with imagery of gold and flowers. The menorah symbolized the tree of life. It is the place where God dwells with his people. Oh, got it. And check this out. In the temple, the Israelite priests and Levites were to work and to keep the temple in God's presence. This is exactly the job description given to humanity in the Garden of Eden. So these humans were the first priests. But instead of ruling with God, they wanted to rule on their own terms, and they're exiled from the Garden Temple. And like Adam and Eve, Israel's leaders also wanted to rule on their own terms, and they too were exiled. The Temple was destroyed, and this left them wondering, did God give up on Israel? Will God bring about a new creation
1: right so you see there this this idea the, the of God's intentionality things that you and I would miss I believe I certainly have for years I've read through the Bible a few times I've read through Exodus, I love Exodus. And again, the most common thing about we're going into Exodus, people who had read Exodus before were like, what are you going to do with these chapters? And, and I miss like so much of the intentionality that God, the, 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 the perfect, original, first architect, right? When he puts things in place and, and he intentionally designs this tabernacle to, to incite memory, to be, remember his people, right, enslaved, forgot about it. They didn't know about Eden. I don't know about you. I didn't know Eden meant delight, right? That God delights. We often read through and are like, oh, man, he's so harsh. Like, you got to wash this and that. You can't do this and that. Before you go in, you got to take this many steps and then stop. And you got, oh, God, so it's so, you know, just exhausting. He's mean. He's right. But no, there's this reshaping, reforming, reorienting of God's people. And part of that is he's telling the story. Of who he is and what he's done right there are things like trees there's there are materials used as you read through gold and 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 um you know onyx and again it gets more sacred and more precious the further in the closer to god's presence that they would get and this stuff is meant to remind god's people of who he is and what he's done Obviously, in that video, because it was talking about the temple, they got ahead and talked about the, the temples getting destroyed and, you know, things like that. And even then, there's this, this sense of God's story, God's plan, God's sovereignty, His oversight throughout the whole time, going and go, And He's, He's shaping His people and forming that. Again, that language of God being the architect is really intentional, Okay, it's not just God's like, why does he, why is he like pur- purple so much? I don't understand, you know, like he's intentionally using things. Even something else that I'd I'd forgotten or would miss that the materials that his people are using would be a constant reminder, right? Those aren't materials that that slaves would just happen to have, right? If they just ran out of Egypt like you know, holding their, dragging their kids behind them and like, forget everything, just grab, whatever it is, get out of there, right? But if you remember way back when, when God's people were, well, when the exodus was taking place, when they were leaving, when they were, when they were fleeing Egypt, there was a sense of plundering, right? And that God would use the stuff, the, the materials and the different things that their oppressors had over them, that God would use those things now for his glory, gold, these materials, these, all these things they got from there. It's not just stuff that they happened to have. So even, even the materials would remind them of God, the free, the one who, who sets them free, the deliverer, right? God is the architect, I I wouldn't be, I would be lying if I didn't admit that was part of why, as I thought about architects and, like, Matt Tillman and Sam de Bonfartolo, who's here, and I've had a great conversation about, about design and designing space and this idea of God as architect. That definitely informed me wearing all black, just not going to lie, right? Trying to connect, oh, architects, right, usually wear black, and, um, but that, like, let, if that, like, remember, though, God is intentional, Okay, sometimes and someone said, we can exhaust ourselves with trying to be intentional, what would it look like if instead we stepped back and and engaged and pressed in and and looked for opportunity to see God's intentionality? How how would that be different from us? I'm trying to be so intentional with everything I do with my whole life, and I'm trying to get every hour done and every picture and angle and everything in my house, right? I already talked about that. What if we stop and we look at, God, you've already been intentional, Let me find freedom and hope and joy in what you've made purposefully. Okay, God tells his story. And so with that now, let's look at this other part of the video and see he doesn't just tell what's happened. He doesn't just connect the dots to creation, to God speaks and it happens, right? The number seven, as we heard there in the video, the number seven is intentional, right? All this stuff would remind God's people of what God had done. And you might be wondering, well, what does that mean for us? He also, through this, reveals what he's going to do still. So let's watch the second part of this video.
2: And here here we come to the story of Jesus. He said that through him, God's presence and rule was coming into our world in a new way and he presented himself as a new kind of priest. But Jesus wasn't a priest and he didn't work in the temple. Right. Jesus said that God's presence, his rest and rule was filling the world through his own life, death and resurrection. Jesus was claiming that he was the true temple and this new temple would expand out to include all of creation. That is a really big claim and it got even bigger. After his resurrection, Jesus said that God's presence would come to dwell in and among his followers so that they would become mini-temples. Communities of people where God rests and rules. Exactly. This is the Bible's vision of the church, which is described as a temple. Not a building, but people. Yeah, like when Peter says, You all are living stones built up as a temple for God's spirit to dwell.
1: All right, let me, let's uh, take a little moment while we're doing it because we don't let's thank uh, Peter Nashley here working the AV table. Yes. All right. We, uh, they you guys nailed it. That's hard. I know there's always a little anti- little like anxiety, like, oh, we're showing a video. We meet in an old school, a hundred years old. Like, I don't even think electricity. I don't know historians, anyone. It was electricity around then when this was built. Probably not, but um, right, like this wasn't designed for this kind of thing. So thank you, guys. You're, you're nailing it. Um, no pressure. Now everyone's going to look at you, and they know your names. No, thank you, really. Takes a village. Um, so we saw some things, right? It, it jumped right in and skipped ahead to, it's all about Jesus. What's a Sunday school answer? What's it? What's the point? Jesus. Yes, you're right. Well, how? Let me help connect the dots a bit. All right, in Exodus chapter 29, verse, uh, in verse 43, we see some of this language where God says, why he's setting up this tabernacle. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent. That's like purify, and I will consecrate the tent of meeting and, and the altar, Aaron, and also um, also, and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. Verse 46 And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And, and as, again, as we walk through the temple, there's all kinds of language of holiness, of sacred and common right it's like no take your shoes off right now you're standing in sacred set apart holy ground you're entering into the very presence of god where even moses like couldn't fully see and had to just look at god's back and like cover his eyes there's a sense of holiness and so as we connect the dots to jesus right what does god say i will dwell with my people I will be among my people. When Jesus shows up on the scene as we prepare to uh, enter into the Advent season leading up to Christmas, what is Jesus? What is the name given to Jesus? Emmanuel. Does that mean God with us? The God who is with you. The God who dwells among you. And so hopefully the glory of Jesus doesn't doesn't diminish, right? As we think of Jesus, as we think of, oh, you know, again, I use this phrase, I don't even know if it's current anymore used to be t-shirts and stuff you know jesus is my homeboy or you know just kind of like jokes about jesus and all these different things, and someone on my son's big baseball team just like uses the name in, of Jesus in vain, even like tells jokes and stuff, and it's just ridiculous and irreverent. And we can participate in that sometimes in good, as we 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 understand his approachability. But hopefully, as we connect the dots here to 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 God's holiness, we understand. Listen, that that, that through Jesus, God doesn't just um just kind of settle for common. No, he, he becomes common so that we, through Jesus, can become holy. Okay, what, what would it look like for us, again, as we take communion, as we sing songs, as we consider the cross, to think of Jesus not as like, oh, Jesus just low, lo, lowly, right? He, no, what if we consider, wow, he chose to become the least of these, to, to give of himself so that through him, so that through, through, through choosing to be humble, he has now elevated us to where we can actually approach God in all his glory. and all The same God of the tabernacle, of the temple, where the priests had to wear a bell in case their sin was so great that they dropped over dead as they went in once a year to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people that they could be pulled out by a, a rope, right? Because, because it was so serious to be in God's presence that's the same God. And again, Jesus doesn't just descend and stay there and dwell among us and make God more common. No, through faith in him, he elevates us and allows us to approach God in his holiness. Look at Hebrews. You don't have to turn there. I'll have them up here on the screen. But this is how we see the holiness of God, good news that we can approach him through Jesus Since then, we have a great high priest, right? All this language about priests and all they had to do year in and year out and change. Well, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are can enter into our brokenness our sin, chose to become common. Emmanuel, God with us, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us approach God with great confidence, not because he's any less holy, great, significant, any less fearful, but because of Jesus we have full access Further, in Hebrews chapter 7, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, right? They wouldn't last forever. They would get older. They couldn't fulfill their duties. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. That's absolutely those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Again, we have full access to God. The moment, whatever the la- went during our time of confession, whatever sin came to mind, whatever it comes to mind where, where you're, you're tempted and you enter into it, you indulge, you, you go there, whatever it is that, as one song writer once said, what is it that comes to mind for you, perhaps in your whole life or just this last week, that if it were somehow all of a sudden aired on the five o'clock news, you would just be devastated. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that got out. My journal got found. Even worse than that, my thoughts got found. Well, church, let me tell you plainly, clearly, that God, does, it doesn't have to be found out. He knows it. And because of Jesus, because of Jesus' life, sacrificial death, victorious r- resurrection, fully forgiven, fully accepted, right? He said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And then God, uh, God, God, God um, judges right? He dies on the cross and then God shows it that sacrifice on your and my behalf was acceptable as he raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus now, the perfect high priest, right? Making intercession on our behalf. What does that mean, intercession? Right? I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you where you didn't have access to someone, but somebody else goes before you and gives you access. Right? Whatever it might be. It might be name dropping. It might be, oh, oh, right, someone comes up before you or behind you, and you're like, you're getting treated one way, and then all of a sudden, someone else steps in on your behalf, and now, oh, okay, that changes things. Oh, you're so-and-so's son. Oh, you're with so-and-so. Okay, sorry, you're, you, you, I didn't know you had an all-access pass. Right Again, as we read through the tabernacle, as we read through all of Exodus, God right, revealing himself, flexing his muscles, showing his power over all the plagues, over all the false gods of Egypt, over Pharaoh himself, the most powerful human on the entire face of the earth. And God just like, flicks him like a gnat and reveals his glory. That same God in all his holiness, you and I now have full access to through Jesus how does that inform our, our, our worship? How does that inform our taking communion? How does that inform our, our, our understanding of the cross? Again, the good news is that God doesn't just become more common, okay, but no, He, through Jesus, makes us more holy. And that's good news, and that informs how we relate with Him. And then. This next section here, we see that God includes his people in his glorious work in the tabernacle and throughout all of creation. He chooses to include his people. Look here in um, chapter 36. See, I told you we're covering a ton, okay? So we're skipping ahead, like 10 chapters. And Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill. Who put the skill there? The Lord. Everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. Okay, in this time, by the way, um, blue collar workers, laborers will, were still l- l- laborers. Again, this is not too far removed from the time of Egypt, right, where Moses wouldn't be caught dead like sewing something or hammering something, right? Or digging something. Like no, that right, like the higher up you got, the more you were able to kinda the more pristine you were, the more you didn't have to do really much of anything. And yet God elevates the worker the laborer. Something that came to mind for me many years ago, I was in San Diego. I'd already moved and went back to spend the summer with my dad. And we went out to a really fancy dinner. My older brother was graduating college, the first one in our whole family, and it was a big deal. And um, we went out to a dinner with some of his friends from college. And there were uh, attorneys and doctors and stuff there. And it came time to split the bill. And my dad um, put his credit card out and it said laborer. Like big, kind of capital letters across, because he was a part of the laborers' union. And um, I don't know why he had a credit card that had that on it. I don't fully understand all the details. I was like 12. But I remember afterwards, that came up a ton. My dad talked about it, he tried to play it off, he was embarrassed. This my dad was a hard working blue collar construction guy. At the time honestly I'm like, "Dad, you're ripped. Like, you see those other guys and like, why are you what are you so insecure about? Why are you? I don't understand. You know, he's out there and this is <laughs> anyway, I could tell some funny stories about my dad working with his shirt off building freeways in San Diego, but like there was something there, right? Like in our culture the reality is that that kind of labor often isn't valued. Right? And I don't want to downplay too. We have doctors and lawyers, and my own family, and love, and, and here in our church, and love, and celebrate, and this, right? But but typically in our context, we don't need to do more work to elevate those kind of roles. But how do we view these kinds of things, like the people, like if you've ever been stuck and your car broke down on the freeway or whatever it is, something that you can't do in that moment, all of a sudden you're elevating whatever that is that you don't know how to do. You're like, thank God for fill in the blank, right? Whatever it is. What well, we see here, this, that that's not just, oh, I'm, I'm glad some people do it, you know? Right, as we saw there, no. Who put that skill there? God. Like, what, Psalm 139, by the way, applies to this, right? God knit us together in our mother's womb. He has every number of days he knows before there has even been one, right? In, in God's wisdom, in his mind, creating these blue-collar workers to, 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 to dwell. This was a big deal. The whole thing will end with God's presence descending and dwelling. And what did he dwell in? Something put together, crafted by blue-collar people. Okay, God includes his people. And then look here in this next part, in, um, down in verse 3. Of that same chapter, that they still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, "The people bring much more than enough, right, for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do." And the people kept doing. And so finally, Moses was like, "Stop giving." Remember that one church that told the congregation, "Like, stop giving. It's too much." remember? No, you don't remember that? Yeah, yeah, me neither, right? There's No, our church is, um let this be a little moment of, like, praise God. Our church is really generous when you consider our demographics and our numbers and how we're doing, and again, there's the members meeting. We're going to share some things, and just God's been, you've been generous, and keep being generous, and if you haven't been, join the club, right? Like, honestly, though, like, God includes us. Like, tithes and offerings aren't just Man, such a, I use the term buzzkill, and someone actually asked about it last week, and I can, and it's, it's so funny. Here here we have just quick, our church is like, half of you are like, that's such an outdated term. Like, do, like get a more recent term, Dave, you're not cool. I say in buzzkill, and others are like, what is this term? He's so young and hip. He uses buzzkill, and I don't know it. And, right, that's just where we are. We're a beautiful tapestry, right, generationally. But God includes his people, and our tithes, our giving, is part of that. It's not just God, like, being mean. Hey, give me part of your allowance. I know you want to buy a new video game, but sorry, right? You got to pay the man first. No, God wants to include us in the work he's doing. When we share stories of stuff he's doing among us through our church, that's part of it. Okay, your giving is a part of a lot of good things that God has been doing among us. And God includes his people, and this is part of it. And in all this, God does it to display his glory. Again, all along, right? In the very beginning, in creation, why did God create? Display his glory, right? Put himself on display, right? God creates people. Why do he do that? So that his image bearers would reflect his glory, overseeing creation, stewarding creation, uh, working alongside one another, husband and wife relating with one another, men and, and, and women relating with one another as, as brother and sister, co-image bearers of God, displaying His glory and splendor and all that we would do. That what did He promise in in Genesis 12? Right, that He would He would use one to to be a blessing to the entire world. Right, to put Himself on display. What did He want to do through His people here in Exodus? What does He do constantly? What is what does Jesus say he wants to do? He wants to reveal the good life, the way things ought to be through his people. Why do we care about racial reconciliation, about generational community? Why do we care about socioeconomic community, about living alongside one another? Um, Dominic prayed before here earlier that we would move toward one another and that that would be a display of God's glory, that how we relate with one another. In the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, Jesus says, I pray that they would 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 know that they are mined by their love for one another this is an eclectic like usually unreconcilable group of people that jesus is saying their love for each other is counterintuitive and demands an explanation let that be good news god wants to display himself through his people his glory is on display And that's what he's doing among us. That's the language. I'm not going to read through all these, but in Exodus chapter 39, verses 1 through 7, it just goes on this list of, again, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place, the ephod of gold, blue and all these things. There was a sense of God showing he wanted to have his people stand out. Yes, become a good news, become a, a people that are dwelling among and with the nations, but also that they would be set apart, right? And down in, in Exodus chapter 40, as he talks about consecrating and anointing the tabernacle and the priests and the altar and all these things, there's a sense of set apartness. So church, as I prepare to kind of land the plane and us to consider what do we do with this, one of the great kind of pastoral moments, if you will, a concern I have, specifically for our congregation is that we're not very set apart. All right, whatever that looks like. And now, in this room, we can look very set apart, very different. The bumper stickers on some of our cars couldn't be more different than the bumper stickers on others' cars. Right? The things that we say amen about and stand up and clap for are very different from the things that others are saying. We, one of the best illustrations we had was walking through Ephesians when certain things people were writing and saying, amen, amen, but why'd you have to bring that up? And other like a chapter later, others are like, amen, amen, but why'd you bring that up a couple weeks ago? And it was like just, the same, just different things and the same God and his same word. All right, we, we, that's why we press in and consider what does it look like for us to be a set-apart people. Hear me, if we blend too closely with any political party, all right, with any like social movement too much, if it doesn't have the name of Jesus as the overarching banner leading it, then there will absolutely will be some point in time where we have to say, I can't go that far. I'm with you on this and this, but that, not that, because Jesus says this and that, and again, wherever it is, every single one, hear me, every single one will lead us at some point to having to remain faithful as God set apart people. And that does not mean we are able to just easily blend in, to find a place to just kind of slip into. It doesn't exist. Am I all alone? I'm convicted, church. I am. I love to be loved. I love when I'm with certain groups of people, and I'll admit, I'm. there are some and others that I'll find myself b- b- hiding my lip in one group, and I'm like, again, it's the same thing. It's like, man, I, I want this group to like me. I want to fit in. I want to be a witness. Sometimes I'll even kind of, you know, church it up and over-spiritualize it. And, you know, I want to do this, so I'm going to hold back. I'm going to not speak up against that that was said. And then in another group that, again, on on, on, on paper would be, count, I'll do the same thing, All right? And God is calling his people to be a set-apart people. And I pray that we would consider, we would lay before God The Lord, we would put our hearts to bear individually and corporately as a church. Consider, God, what does it look like for me, for my family? What does it look like for this church to remain faithful, loving, present, good news? Yes, yes, yes. But those things don't continue if we just blend right in, if we don't live as God's set-apart people, and as I said earlier, he said first and foremost that that would look like we would be set apart by love. Radical love. And his plan, as we saw in the video, is that in the same way that God wants to dwell among his people, his plan is that he would dwell within the world through those of us who are his people. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that's again, set apart, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, that we would display and proclaim with our lives, with our actions, and with our words, we would be God's presence, God dwelling among his people that now you and I set apart, right, a holy nation, a kingdom of Priests. Right? That's what it looks like for us to live as His people. Let's read a couple more verses here. One from to help us connect the dots. Exodus chapter forty. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What an incredible picture that would be! After all this building, after being freed from Egypt, all this stuff. Finally, God's glory descends like physically manifests in his his glory comes and dwells in the ark among his people in this tabernacle. And then look ahead to Acts chapter 2, verse 2, that after Jesus said, it's actually good for you that I go away. Wait, how's it good? Emmanuel, God with us, how's this good? Because he says, I'll send you a helper, the Holy Spirit, And this is when that happens, Acts chapter 2, verse 2. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. That's Pentecost. That's when the Holy Spirit fills God's people. And then in the Jesus Storybook Bible, it says it this way. I'll just pick up partway through here. God's power had struck their hearts ablaze. This time, nothing could ever separate them. Jesus would always be there with them. They threw open the shutters. Sunlight flooded the room as love had fro- flooded their hearts. They unlocked the door and surged out onto the streets as if they'd never been afraid. That's, by the way, why we, you guys know we're a part of surge. This is where that comes from. They surged out into the streets as if they were never afraid. God dwelling in and through his people. God displaying his glory. God revealing himself, showing himself, telling his story, including his people. So church, let's look at these action points I want us to consider here as we walk away from this massive section of scripture here. Let us learn and love our God. Learn his story. Always learn about him through all he's revealed, including the tabernacle. What does it look like for our appetites to awaken as we see God is revealing himself even through the seemingly hard-to-handle text in his word? Let us worship and exalt him. He's shown himself to be glorious. Again, let's take worship seriously, not taking it for granted, not just, oh, whatever, not taking grace for granted. It's not cheap grace, right? God's undeserved favor, his acceptance of us came at a great cost. What does it look like for us to revere him? to be grateful that we can run without abandon to our Father, our glorious Father. He has made us holy. And then again, as I asked even last week, what does it look like for us to live set apart? He includes us. He invites us. He wants to show himself through us, display his good news through our lives, proclaim his good news through our words. As always, it's all about Jesus. And so let me pray as we respond to him. Heavenly Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for the big chunks, the big sections. Lord, thank you for the detail. I thank you that you are a God who cares. I pray that we would see in the details, even in our own lives, as we consider the details of our lives, things we can't make sense of. Why have we asked for this and yet it hasn't come? Why have we asked for this not to happen and yet it won't go away? Or all the details of our lives, where we are, our position, our our bank account, our our, our self-image. Lord, all these things that, that we could just see as details that you don't care about, Lord, let us be reminded here you care about the details. Lord, you're with us. You're glorious. You're holy. And Lord, the fact that we get to run to you, to relate with you, to talk to you, to worship you, or to participate in your work, Lord, that's incredible. And I pray we wouldn't take it lightly. I pray even now through your spirit you would lead us to respond as your people. In Jesus' name, amen.